I'm talking with Bev Franklin and she is a risk and inquest manager. Can you just tell me a little bit about your role? What's your background and uh, training specific to the role? My background is um, from the clinical neurophysiology area originally, but I then took on some roles in management and I've worked with regard to incidents, complaints, legal services. And from my experience within that, I then became the risk and inquest manager at the trust. And primarily my role is to look after inquests, serious investigations and police matters. So the, the top end of the investigation spectrum. Clearly for that role, you must have to have a reasonable relationship with your sitting coroner. Can you tell me a bit about how that sort of developed? We are a separate service. Obviously, his service is independent of us, and it needs to be so that he, when he's doing his investigations, he hasn't got any direct links with us. But we work and collaborate completely together. So when there is an inquest from the very start, we work together to identify how it can best be managed, how we can get the best responses for the families, how we can best support the staff through it, and how we can get to the correct conclusion as quickly as we can in a way that causes the least distress for everybody involved. It is teamwork right from the start. And at what sort of stage would the coroner's office um, make you aware of an investigation? Well, it can come to me in many ways. It can come through the coroner first, through the coroner's officer, who they will get a death reported to them. And when they first get the death reported to them, they can recognise from their experience that it is likely to be an inquest. They will then flag that with me immediately and we will share some basic information and work out how we will then progress. It can come later when a case has been referred to the coroner and on the first glance, it looks like a very straight referral through without any concerns, but because it's not a natural death, for instance, there's been an operation involved or there's been a complication, the coroner will go out, do a post-mortem, and then following the findings of the post-mortem, it then sometimes becomes apparent that a more complex investigation will be needed, and it can come back to me. We can also, though, get involved right from the very starting point of a referral into the coroner. Sometimes our staff in Sunderland will actually ring me up before they make that referral because they're aware or have some concerns about what's happened. And we can start from that point. Equally, because of my role in senior investigations, I can pick it up from the incident system that there's something that may not have been reported to the coroner, that perhaps should have been and needs to be discussed. So it could be me notifying the coroner and then starting off the process. We have that open dialogue at all times where we can talk freely and just flag, does this need to go forward or doesn't it? What information is needed? That allows me to ensure that staff get notified at the earliest possible opportunity because early notification, making them aware of it as quickly as we can, helps to relieve the stress for them, but it also does it while it's fresh in their memory. So it's much easier to get the statements, get the information and the knowledge that we need to be able to go forward. We very much split speaking to the family to be a coroner's responsibility. The coroner allocates a family representative and they identify a coroner's officer who will liaise with the family for the entirety of the investigation, whether it's an investigation that goes to inquest or just stops at an earlier stage that coroner's officer will be allocated for the life of that inquiry. 
So they're the point of contact for the family. They're the ones that are talking to the family that are relaying information. It's unusual with an inquest for me to speak to the family until actually we're at the point of inquest. Unless they've got some concerns that could go into a complaint that don't fit within the inquest realm, then sometimes I will get involved. But it is quite rare. My aim, James, is right from get-go is to try to close the case off wherever possible without the need for staff having to go to inquest. So that's my primary driver right from the start is that I'm looking to get the information that's needed to answer any questions that might be there from the coroner or from the family that would enable them to give a conclusion and close the matter down. If we can do that correctly, if we can get all of that information in, then even if it needs to be an inquest, the coroner can hold it on paper. He doesn't need people to attend court. So clearly a core principle of that is communication, be that verbal or written, and part of that involves statements. What are the sort of pearls and pitfalls, if you like, of uh, writing a statement for coroner's purposes? When I speak to people about writing a statement, what I, what I give them is some general principles. Um, what I say is, if you fulfil those principles with any statement, it should actually satisfy the needs of a complaint, a claim, an inquest, a police investigation. If you write a good statement, it will satisfy them all and that one statement will stand right through because some matters can actually progress through into different realms, but your statement, one statement should be able to suffice. And the kind of things we look for in a good statement, it's got to be factual and it's got to be written in plain language. They are the biggest things when you write the statement. We try to avoid jargon. We try to avoid technical terms. When we have to use them, we explain them, we expand on them. We tend to avoid abbreviations, if at all possible. And what we're trying to do is get clarity right from the start. Write the statement in, in a way that nobody could misinterpret what's being written. And we often get that in medicine. We get people where they say things and we have one meaning and the general public interpret that quite differently. Key one that I've come across in many times is where there's been a discussion with families about end of life and the doctor has written that the family were happy. What the doctor is intended to confer is that the family understood and accepted what was being said. Happy means something to us, but to a family who are a bereaved family, they immediately pick up on the word happy. I wasn't happy. How could I be happy? My loved ones just died. And that tends to snowball and you get then everything that's written in that statement gets queried. So the language that you use must be precise. It's absolutely vital that it can't be read in two different ways. I guess you're kind of detailing your role in it and anything that is in your role you're talking about with reference to the notes or a scan or something that makes it a fact or an interpretation of an event that has definitely concurred. Is that reasonable to say? That's absolutely right. What I suggest somebody does if they're asked to write a statement, I strongly suggest that they go back to the person and have a dialogue with them. The person that asks them to write the statement, what is it they're asking them to cover? Is that statement their personal involvement or are they being asked to provide more of an overview of the care that's gone on? Because sometimes in the coroner's inquest, we can ask a clinician to provide an overview of a period of care. 
it's important that if you're doing that, that you understand what it is you've been asked to look at, which area is it you're, you're covering. The key things that we find with statements with regard to factual is it must be that it's about your involvement unless you're otherwise asked to comment on anyone else's involvement. And with your involvement, if you haven't documented, if you haven't written things down, if there is no evidence, but it is something you've done, is there consideration that what you're saying is also a fact? Starting out with a legal background many years ago, I was one of those people that stands up and tells you, if you don't document it, it didn't happen. When I've got my inquest head on, I've got a very different approach to that. If it's not documented, it's not helpful that it's not documented, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's really important when you write in a statement that you look at what's written down and what can you reference because that is absolutely solid evidence. If you've written it, and particularly with electronic records these days, if you've written something at a particular point in time, why would you have written anything other than what was actually correct? And the coroner actually always gives preference to what has been written and documented at the time when he's comparing it with family's recollection because family are upset, they're distressed, it's a traumatic situation, and their memories might not be as clear as the documented record. So if you're writing a statement and it's from the records, you actually say it as documented, and you reference that. If you didn't write it down, but you can remember, that's also good evidence, but you need to state that in your statement. Whilst I haven't documented it, I have clear recollection of, and then you state what you can remember. The coroner will give weight to that, but as a member of staff, you're in multiple situations many times a day with many families. Your recollection might not be quite as clear as the family who've only been there once. And then the third type of evidence, so you've got the, I wrote it down, or the, I didn't write it down, but I could remember. The third is, I didn't write it down. I can't remember on that occasion. However, my usual practice is. And that is still good evidence it sets out what you would usually do in those circumstances and the coroner will take weight of that. Why would you differ? What reason would there be for different? If that's what you normally do, then that's most likely what you did on that occasion. And we have good results with that kind of evidence going through court. The preparation of a statement can sometimes be the prequel to an inquest and often yeah. at an inquest from what we've sort of deciphered it can be a case of further fact finding and if you've written a good statement you can avoid attending an inquest. Now sometimes there are some questions in which the family wish to ask medical practitioners directly and attendance at an inquest becomes well something that's required. What advice do you give to people who are about to attend an inquest? What other pearls and pitfalls would you have for when something reaches this stage? And the, the best preparation for your inquest is to have written a solid statement, a good statement that covers all areas so that you have put the evidence in front of the coroner and the family already. So when they're asking questions, the information is there for you. So to prepare for the inquest, make sure that you're fully aware of who's going to be attending. If there's any family's concerns, that you've had sight of those, which the coroner in Sunderland and most coroners will share family's concerns with the hospital, will let you know what kind of questions the family have. Be aware of those. It's not a memory test, so we don't expect you to go through the statement and through the notes and memorise everything that's there. We would like you to be familiar with it, 
but we're not expecting you to be able to regurgitate it. The notes in your statements will be there on the day. You need to have that understanding of the background of it. Think about why you made decisions. Think about why you did what you did and be prepared to answer questions about that. The kind of mindset we ask people to get into when they're going and preparing to go to inquest is that kind of mindset you have when you're breaking bad news, you're going into that difficult conversation. That professional approach that you need to try to maintain throughout so that you're not being defensive and you're just giving the information that you've got available to you. If you're nervous about going to inquest, which understandably lots of people are, there is plenty of support available and you can make good use of that. If you're not sure where to get it from, speak to your line manager. If you're working in a trust who has a risk and inquest manager like myself or a legal team, they'd be more than happy to support you if you haven't already been in touch with them. We can give you guidance, we can give you leaflets, we can take you down to court and let you see court before you go so that you get to feel what the environment is. More and more, we're encouraging staff to come along to an inquest before they get involved in anything in their career so that they can see it and they can experience it. If you're familiar with the environment, what the layout is, that's half the battle. It takes away some of the anxieties on the day. But make sure that you've got the right advice and support up front is really key to your preparation, that you feel confident, you know why you're going, you know what it's about, and you know what to expect.